Baby back door, baby fall off. Sipping codeine, cause I gotta kill the cold. Let me sit sideways in the big bins. Oh, you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. Now it's time to go to work. There's not one guy in the history of this program that's bigger than the program. <laughs> Listening to Brandon Drum. Look, I think the program is moving in a great direction. And Parker Thune. Venables knows what he's doing. This is the OU Insider Under the Visor Podcast. Welcome to another OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners podcast. My name is Brandon Drum. I'm here with Parker Thune. And we're here to talk Oklahoma football, some basketball, softball has also kicked off the season, uh, blasting everybody as normal. And uh, is baseball close to getting started i know they had their media day here recently parker so i think baseball starts this weekend officially if my memory serves me correctly but yes we're getting close yep and then spring practice starts up on march 20th with the spring game uh basically finalizing all the spring practices on april 22nd so busy busy times are ahead uh we are in a lull right now we will admit it is a lull right now but you want to know what fueled that lull a little bit was the sec in the big 12 and espn and fox coming to a decision and allowing oklahoma and texas to leave for the 2024 season so as of January, what or no, it's July, is it July? Is that when it when it is? July first. It's July first, twenty twenty four. Yes. Yeah. July first, twenty twenty four. Oklahoma and Texas will be in the SEC. So now so they got all the monetary stuff and the financials figured out, obviously. What is it, the first season that they're there? Oklahoma gives a portion of their earnings from the SEC to the Big 12 to pay off their early exit to the to the TV and to the Big 12 and all the teams the the uh the teams that stayed not so much BYU and Houston and UCF and Cincinnati but the the teams that the godfathered in teams that the OGs essentially will get a piece of Oklahoma and Texas's earnings. 
honestly, the crazy part is, is it sounds like this is my guess. If they're giving their earnings up, it sounds like the schools and the SEC are going to cut like four or five million dollars a piece and put them all together, like and and spread it out to the to the universities as well to kind of make up for some of their losses. I would assume, uh, but I like the move. I like the move, Parker. I mean, uh, when, I I feel as though. The consensus is the move is a wholly positive thing. And it was interesting that the whole 2024 target date and that kind of being finalized as the juncture for this all to happen came not much more than what a week and a half, two weeks after the reports came out that everything had kind of stalled and it looked like 2025 for OU and Texas has moved to the SEC. And I remember texting uh, with a couple buddies elsewhere in the business, um, pretty immediately after that news came on the wire and uh, asking a couple of sources as well. I was just like, Hey, that messaging was all very intentional, right? They were like, yes, it's not going to be 2025. And no. so needless to say, I think everybody kind of has the understanding at this point that there were folks that wanted that information put out there by the big dogs and the, college football reporting world, i.e. Pete Thamel, Brett McMurphy, et cetera, because what that was going to do is it was going to kickstart things in earnest once again to be able to get everything in place by 2024. Because when stuff hits the public eye that to that point has been going on largely behind closed doors and you get, I, I don't know if I would go as far as to, far as to call it a furor, but if you get the public kind of uneasy and you stir up some unrest about the whole conversation, then the stakeholders are going to start to pay attention. They're going to start to take the whole process more seriously. That's what happened. A week and a half, two weeks later, boom, we're back to 2024 being the date. And it is final. It is official. It is legal. That's when OU and Texas are going to the SEC. And man, I, I, I think this move has the opportunity to be seismic if Oklahoma plays its cards correctly, because especially in the sport of football, you think about the three programs outside the SEC that have firmly established themselves in the top tier of the sport over the last decade. It's OU, Ohio State, and Clemson, all kind of on par with one another. Clemson and Ohio State obviously have gone where Oklahoma hasn't gone and have managed to win a national championship in that span of time, Clemson twice, actually. Right. But those are the three programs that have continually been top five in college football. And a down year for that program has been outside the top five, quite mm -hmm. honestly, uh, over the course of the last few years. And so I think when you look at those programs that have managed to squeeze the most out of their resources in conferences that don't offer the financial power and leeway that the SEC does. I think you'd be hard pressed to say that the school that doesn't stand to benefit the most from this coming round of realignment is Oklahoma. And it's the program that has the best opportunity to cement themselves alongside Alabama and Georgia as the Titans of the sport if they play their cards correctly. And obviously there's a lot that goes into that. We could spend hours breaking it down from every angle, but 
I think the more I ponder Oklahoma's move to the SEC, the more I become cognizant of the reality that this has the opportunity to make Oklahoma a giant once again in the sport of football. And they're a blue blood. Don't get me wrong. But right now there are two giants in the sport, and it's Alabama and Nick Saban and Georgia and Kirby Smart. Mm -hmm. Oklahoma has the opportunity making the move to the SEC to put themselves right alongside Bama and Georgia if everything comes together properly and you maintain continuity. So we were talking off air before we got on here and you kind of set me up here. Uh, the scheduling I think is going to be critical for what you're talking about. Uh, the, the three, six format, essentially you have three permanent opponents that you play home and aways with every other year forever. And then you rotate six of the other, is it 16 or 14, 16 teams the rest of, for the rest of time as well. So you'll play a home and away with Bama, Vanderbilt, such on and such on and such on. And then you'll rotate to another six and you'll keep doing that. So every fourth year you're repeating the previous schedule home and aways every fourth and fifth year so that is it every fourth and fifth or every third and it'd be third and fourth every third and fourth every third it? and fourth year yeah you would be rotating every you would you would be rotating home and aways with variations of opponents in the SEC and there's been talk, right, of who Oklahoma will have the permanent three of. And two two are just, like, constant, right? Like, no matter who you talk to, no matter who you hear, it, it seems like if the SEC goes to that 3-6 format, which is the one I love the most, honestly – it's going to be Missouri and Texas for sure. For sure. That said, the crazy part is, is who the, the third one is. You know, there's some that said LSU. There's some that have said Arkansas. But the vast majority have thrown two teams out there, Parker. Two teams I know Oklahoma fans, when they see them, and you just talked about, you know, one of them being one of the titans of NC football right now in Georgia. And the other one is Florida. And I was reading, uh, oh my gosh, Bud uh, Elliott's little breakdown in graph and it had Oklahoma the three permanent was Georgia, Missouri, Oklahoma. And then I think SI and a few other places had it be in Florida. Well, to me, I don't care who it is out of those two Parker, because if you look at where Oklahoma recruits, go look at the offers, go to 24, Type in in your little Google and say 2024 OU offers and 2025 OU offers. 
Go look at the states Oklahoma has the most offers in outside of Texas and Oklahoma. It's Florida and Georgia, folks. It is Mm -hmm. Florida and Georgia. You want to know what comes in third? Kansas and Missouri, Kansas City, Como, basically, comes in or... Was it, yeah, Como, that's what they call it, or Moco or whatever. Um, it's a, it's a AU team that's, I do know that. <laughs> so, um, and it's, it's essentially Missouri and Kansas's top kids, but that, that region, if you play Missouri, you're right between in Columbia every year, every other year, excuse me, you get to play in front of the top Kansas City and top St. Louis kids. Where Oklahoma loves to recruit anyways, and they have a bunch of kids on their roster from already. So, to me, Parker, if you want to be competitive and do exactly what you said Oklahoma set up to potentially do, they've got to have Florida or Georgia as their third opponent. And I think, from my understanding, Oklahoma is pushing for that. They're saying, look, if we're going to do this, let's do this and throw us one of those bad boys. Give us an Alabama, a Florida, a Georgia. Put us in that region every other year so we can get in front of those kids every other year and make sure that we're able to recruit at the level you need us to recruit because you're already going to have Texas. You're going to play Texas A&M three out of the, you know, Five years, or two out of the five years, excuse me, you're going to play Texas every year, so you're going to be in Texas all the time. That's not going to change. And for people who are like, well, you're not playing Baylor, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. Honestly, how many top kids do you think visited Baylor when for home games over the years? That's really helped Oklahoma in recruiting. Minimal. Minimal. And I'm not hating on Baylor as a as a program. I'm stating a fact. They don't recruit at the level Oklahoma does. Nor do they recruit the same, same players most of the time. What they do is they get those players that have high ceilings and that are super raw, and they develop them into great football players, just really good athletes. There's, there's multiple ways to recruit, and that's just how they do it. TCU, very similar. That doesn't help Oklahoma. Now, obviously, TCU played for a national title. They're recruiting a little different now than they have ever done. But over the years, they haven't been somebody that when you said top kids, go look at TCU's recruiting class. That's not how it's gone. But Oklahoma's getting in front of those kids in Kansas City and St. Louis every other year, no matter what, getting in front of those top players in Georgia or Florida every other year, no matter what. And then obviously sticking with Oklahoma and Texas and you're going to play Arkansas every now and then, but you're only four hours away from most of the kids in Arkansas anyways. So you could go in and recruit that, that area, no matter what you can go down to LSU and recruit that area, no matter what, because you're only five, six, seven hours, nine hours or so from all those players. And I know that seems like a lot, but people are willing to make those type of drives to get to where they want to be a lot of times. And 
if push comes to shove, you know, okay, you missed out on some top Louisiana kids. Oh, well. But Parker, do you not agree that that would be the best setup for Oklahoma if they were able to actually nail down in that 3-6 format? If that is what comes to pass as far as scheduling goes, because they're still trying to iron all that out. If that comes to pass and you land your third opponent as Georgia or Florida every year, how great would that be for Oklahoma to do exactly what you're saying they could potentially be set up to do? Yeah, well, and I think as far as – obviously, we know Texas is going to be the one SEC team that Oklahoma is absolutely going to play every season. There's not yeah. a question about that. And I think – one of the things you had mentioned, right, is the reality that uh, if it isn't Missouri, Arkansas, Texas, you're probably picking between either Missouri or Arkansas. And I think the prevailing narrative is, oh, you fans would rather face off with Arkansas than Missouri because of how much better situated that Arkansas program is. But I, I don't know if I see a vast distinction between the two, Brandon. If we look at the last 10 years since Missouri joined the SEC, Missouri's done more and accomplished more as a program than Arkansas has. It just kind of flies under the radar because Missouri's just constantly kind of there, you know? And Arkansas is much the same way. Arkansas hasn't done anything remarkable on the football field, but it may be the fan base, it may be Sam Pittman as a head coach, it may be the fact that they go toe-to-toe on the recruiting trail with Oklahoma for a lot of 918 area green country players, but I feel like there's a lot more buzz around Arkansas than there is for Missouri, even though, as I mentioned, folks up in Columbia have managed to do a lot more since they joined the SEC mm-hmm. than Arkansas has. We're not that far removed from a time where Arkansas went three full years without winning a conference game. So yeah. I don't and it, I don't think it's a disappointment if you end up with Missouri as one of your three regular opponents in the three. I think it's a win. Because I, and look, if you need more evidence why it is a win for Oklahoma and why it's going to be significant to play Missouri every single season, you talked about the recruiting hotbed that is Kansas City. And if I, I know there are folks that probably don't take Missouri seriously. Guess what? You know who's, you know who's, exactly. You know who Oklahoma's <laughs> primarily doing battle with for Will Winery right now? It's Missouri. I had and no so, idea that's where you were going with that. I was just making a joke, man. <laughs> well, that's that's what I'm saying, though. You're talking about the art arguably the best prospect ever to come out of Kansas City. There's that conversation right now going on with regard to Will Winery. And I I I'd still give the edge to PJ. But depending on what Will does his senior year, he's certainly going to have a say in that conversation. PJ just became the highest ranked prospect ever to come out of KC. Will's on track to eclipse that. Mm -hmm. So that is the biggest fish that has come out of the pond in Kansas City in quite some time, rivaled only by a guy the Sooners just landed over Missouri and Northwestern in PJ Atabare. And that is a guy that you were going toe-to-toe with Missouri for. Yeah. And Alabama has offered Winnery. Tennessee has offered him. Colorado just offered him. He's got a Notre Dame offer. He's got a Georgia offer. 
And I reiterate, it's a battle between Oklahoma and Missouri right now. And Oregon as well. Oregon's in that thing. But the top two in my eyes right now for that kid, and in a lot of folks' eyes, are OU and Missouri. So again, if that's the caliber of prospect that Missouri is able to, I guess, have some sort of teeth in recruiting, if they can pursue a local five-star and actually make some headway in recruiting him, that just goes to show you that those mid to high tier four star guys that inevitably pop up in Kansas City and St. Louis every year. <laughs> that game between Oklahoma and Missouri is probably going to mean something. Mm-hmm. Right. And it may not be a massive event for everybody in that vicinity that's considering both OU and Missouri. But if that's enough to swing one battle a year. No, I mean, I, no, I, so. Over the last 20 years or so, you know what program actually has recruited the best out of the state of Missouri, St. Louis area, all that type of stuff? It's going to shock you. It's not Oklahoma. It's not Missouri. I Probably is Missouri, is but this, outside of Missouri. Is this, are you going, is this subjective? No, or is this, are you looking this at... It's not subjective. Go look at who they have pulled out of the St. Louis area over the last 20 years. Last 15 years. Let's go last 15. Where are you going with this? Oh, I'm just trying to say I'm, I'm, I'm where I'm going with this is that yeah. if Oklahoma every other year is playing there, that means the parents don't have to travel that far to watch their kid at least once a week. Right. Because they're playing right down the road. And then there, there'll be multiple years where they don't have to travel for two games, a whole lot of very far because they're going to be going to Arkansas and Missouri. So you add that, then, then the furthest they're going to have to travel for an OU home game is like six hours. Like that's huge. But the program that has recruited, ironically, the best out of St. Louis, not named Missouri, not named Kansas or Kansas state, or Illinois, who are all just literally right down the road from all those cities and towns and Missouri. Ohio State. Ohio State has landed so many top kids from Missouri over the years. Ezekiel Elliott. uh, They got one of the top wide receivers out of that region year after year for a while. They got some of the top offensive linemen. Um, trying to think. Uh, it feels like they got some of the top defensive players too, but they've recruited really well. Well, you you essentially cut that off, man. Like you cut that off because now you're up there. You're playing in that area all the time, and. You're in the SEC. To me, again, I know people look at the Missouri and you're just like, oh, you've got to look at the big picture, folks. You've got to look at the big picture, like Parker and I are saying. Like, this is big. 
for Oklahoma to be able to to do what Venables has already done, mind you, getting up there and landing PJ and Caden Green and whoever else he decides he wants to land in that region over the next few years. Like this is big for Oklahoma to have that at their disposal. Now I I know Arkansas sounds intriguing just from a fan's perspective because the two states kind of clash with each other already. They clash with each other recruiting Tulsa kids. And now Oklahoma has decided they want to shake up the apple cart a little bit and get in there and try to recruit the state of Arkansas, like with TJ Bryant, um, trying to think of all the players that they've offered uh, the 2025 quarterback. I can't think of all the top of my head from little rock. That's really good. That Oklahoma Walker white. No, twenty twenty. That's twenty twenty four. I'm talking twenty twenty five, kid. Twenty twenty five. Yeah, huh. uh, that's got all these offers, and I think Oklahoma may have offered him as an athlete already. I can't remember, um, directly off the top of my head, but they've offered like ten kids in twenty between twenty four and twenty five, or somewhere close to that, in Arkansas. So I mean. Uh, my point is, is that that state's starting to produce a little more. It's just like Oklahoma. seems like every year more and more kids are starting to come to the forefront as far as just real talent that everybody wants to offer and go after. And because of that, you're going to start seeing Oklahoma try to dip in there and see if they can't pull a few away from the hogs. And uh, so I, I get, I get that, to an extent, but if you're talking about just deep talent, the state of Kansas and Missouri dwarf the state of Arkansas for talent when it comes to football. Kansas alone won't, but the Kansas City, St. Louis area is deep with talent. Not so much five-star talent all the time, but it's got high four-star top two, four, seven talent. And there's going to be four or five guys every year that are going to be in that, that type of talk that if you're Oklahoma, you want to go in and you want to grab. And like I said, playing in Missouri does that. Now I do think it's as odd as it is, Parker, who would you rather have Florida or Missouri? This is so hard. And I'm going to give you, I'd rather have Florida. I'd rather have Florida. It's not hard at all. We agree, and this sucks that we agree <laughs> on this. Oh no, I I, I feel. Well, I will say Georgia Look. puts out more defensive linemen, and that's where I'm kind of on the fringe with, like why I would rather have Georgia. But the problem with Georgia is that Alabama's right there, Auburn's right there, Clemson's right there, Georgia's right there, and Tennessee's right there. South Carolina's right there. That's hard to get. Like, if you're Oklahoma, it can come in and make sure one of those six schools, and we're not even counting Florida State and Florida, because they're all within four or five hour drive from there. So if if you can beat out one of those seven schools or all those seven schools and grab a top defensive lineman, heck yeah, <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> 
But what do you think the odds are for that? Florida kids are more apt to leave because you want to know why? Because they didn't grow. A lot of the Florida kids' families aren't real Floridians. They didn't, they're not like deeply rooted in Florida. Yeah, they, they've, they've, the kids may have grown up there, may have been born there. The family may live there for 20 years, but that family is probably from, uh, Louisiana, Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, Oklahoma, you know, someplace like that, just Ohio, like just random places. So it is easier to go into Florida and pull a kid out. And some of them aren't even from America. Derek LeBlanc's family is from Haiti. People don't know that. His family is Haitian. So he had no direct roots at all. You know what he had roots with? The fact that he knew Todd Bates since he was in eighth grade. And if you're Oklahoma with how Todd Bates runs Central Florida, go look at go look at where Oklahoma got most of their players from. The Orlando Tampa area. Central Florida. Brent Venables was born in Tampa, Florida. Born in Tampa, Florida. You don't think he uses that? The fact that he's a Tampa Floridian in there on the recruiting trail. Yes, he does. Todd Bates is from Alabama, Hefley, Alabama, but he knows so many people in that central Florida area. Same with Valai, same with Brandon Hall, same with uh, Ted Roof. Uh, trying to think of other guys that have deep Jeff Levy coached at central Florida for a few years. Like these guys have central Florida roots. So if you're Oklahoma, Florida makes so much more sense in my opinion, because you go in there in that Orlando Tampa area that is deep with talent and you go and you take a little bit and then you can drive right down the turnpike, right down 95 and you can go to the north, Dade County, kind of Fort Lauderdale, all that area, and grab some guys that maybe Miami would miss out on, Florida miss out on. And we're not talking about low-ranked guys. We're talking about elite guys that are willing to leave that region. That's what Oklahoma's done. They've gone into the Fort Lauderdale area, and they've literally made a home over the last five or six years. Go look at Oklahoma's roster. So, and I'm not talking like maybe there's guys that miss, but go look at Oklahoma's rosters since probably about 2015 or so on. Oklahoma has gone in that Fort Lauderdale area and just picked two or three guys out and then went up to the central North Florida area and grabbed a few other guys. What is there, six, seven guys from Florida in the 2023 class, there's quite a few. Do we know exactly how many there are? Let's think here. Pachati doesn't really count because he's from I or yeah, he's from IMG via Pennsylvania. So you have LeBlanc, Lewis Carter, Keon Brown, Macari Vickers. Mm, that's four. Um, gosh, who else is there? 
Is that it? That's not it. That's not it. Yeah, they got they do have Pachardo listed as a Florida guy, but yeah. Uh you said Keon Brown. Marcus Strong. Marcus Strong. There you go. Yep. So five. They did have six, if you count Pachotti, but five for sure. And then I believe is there anybody that Oklahoma got in the transfer portal that originated from Florida? There isn't, is there? Is Devon Sears, is he originally from Michigan? Yeah. That's yeah, Devon Sears is from Michigan. Andrell Anthony's from Michigan. Reggie Bot- Pearson is from Michigan as well. Um, yeah, Bothroyd's from Connecticut. So, uh, yeah, that I guess that's it. But if you go back and you look at the 2022 class, I'll pull that up real quick. And it went back to 23 when I clicked 2022. All right, now we got 2022 pull up. You have from the state of Florida, Jaden Gibson from Central Florida, uh, R. Mason Thomas from Fort Lauderdale. It's like we've been talking about. Jamarian Gibson, Jamarian Bird, excuse me, from Ocala, right north of. Um, Orlando area by Gainesville, kind of, ironically. Um, Alton Tarber from Dil- from the north side of Dade County, Miami area, like I said, like that very north, north tier. Um, and then trying to see if there's any other guy. There's a lot of guys from Georgia through the transfer portal in this one. A lot of Georgia guys, but and did they get any Florida guys in 2021? They did, didn't they? Because they got uh, Danny Stutzman. Name? Yeah, you got Stutzman, Mario Williams. That might have been it. It was a light class that year. It was a light class. It felt like there was more than that, though. Oh, well, I guess our point is, is Oklahoma goes into Florida every year and at least pulls three, four guys out on them for the most part of that state. And that's big. That is called a pipeline. Literally, that's the definition of a literal pipeline. If you go in and you pull multiple kids out every year from that region. I, I guess my question is, is Oklahoma's seen... And they've used the DMV so well for the last decade. So well. It didn't start with Caleb Williams. It started with a guy by the name of Charles Tapper who came from the DMV. And then Oklahoma went there and kind of put up a put up a shack and made it their home for a little bit, pulling out three, four guys to at least two guys almost in every class for a while and does the sec logo change anything as far as that goes i mean will that help oklahoma and the dmv or do you think they're already kind of settled in there it's really not going to make that much of a difference the big 10 the acc kind of 
pick and pull whoever they want out of that region anyways. And then you kind of have to fight and battle off all of obviously both of those uh, conference teams in that region. Or do you think the SEC kind of helps push Oklahoma to have more of a sway in that region all they can all th- with all things considered i to me I, from a philosophy standpoint i don't think oklahoma needs to venture uh, geographically venture too far off the beaten path because the staff obviously has really strong relationships in the southeast you're going to get a couple of florida kids and probably a couple of georgia kids maybe a couple of alabama kids every single year just because of the relationships they have down there from there time at Clemson for the most part Uh, and Brandon Hall for the time he spent at Troy he knows a few folks down there as well but (laughs) what's that nine years (laughs) he was at Troy for nine years I believe that's correct hold on I don't think no he was at Jacksonville State for quite a while which is he was probably in the state of Alabama for nine years total Um, but no I think for where Oklahoma's at as a program, where their comfort zone is going to be and where their sweet spot is going to be on the recruiting trail is maintaining that continual pipeline to the Southeast that is going to yield four or five, maybe six players year in and year out, but then really focus in the bulk of your efforts yeah, he closer was in to Alabama. home. Yeah. He was in Alabama getting, for years. yeah. Getting the top two or three kids out of the state of Oklahoma every year. Clearing out the state of Texas, remaining a strong player in DFW, in Houston, in San Antonio, in those hot spots in the Lone Star State. We've talked many a time, Brandon, on this podcast and on OU Insider about the reality that Oklahoma could have commitments well into the double digits from the state of Texas in the class of 2024. And then when you factor in Kansas City becoming the hotbed that it has been, Mm-hmm. in the last couple cycles and continues to be and Oklahoma's relationships that they've established up there under the new staff. I think if you're getting, I, I, let's just put a number on it. If you're getting 10 to 12 kids out of Texas year in and year out, you're getting three or four kids out of Oklahoma, three or four kids out of Kansas city and filling up the rest of your class with Florida guys. Like obviously it was tremendous that Oklahoma was able to go up to Washington this past cycle and get Heath Ozida and Josiah Wagner. It was awesome that they could go up to Pennsylvania, make a push for Phil Pachotti and snag him out of Penn state's backyard. But you'd like to not have to go to such lengths in the future. If you don't have to, if you can just focus your efforts locally on four or five of those hot spots and also leverage DeMarco Murray's connections and sway out in Las Vegas, to land a player to every year from out that way, then you don't got to go to the ends of the earth to find talent. And again, props to the OU staff for having the willingness and the desire and the fervor and the stick-to-itiveness to do just that in the 2023 class. But I don't think they, I don't think they have designs on going back to Washington or Pennsylvania or gosh, what are, what are Nebraska even. I know Nebraska is not all that far away, but (laughs) it seems like this Oklahoma staff, as they get deeper and deeper into their tenure at OU, they're going to be more content and more laser focused on just winning the battles where 
they know they can win them and winning the battles where they know it's going to yield fruitful results for years to come based on more than just the outcome of that individual recruitment. So what I do know as of now, the plan moving forward after everything that went down and yes, they had an elite class. Like nobody's going to say they didn't have an elite class. They had an elite class. Oklahoma, if they land two other players, ironically from this region. So it just kind of contradicts what I'm about to say. Totally get it folks. I get it, but I'm just telling y'all what I've been told. Okay, just telling y'all what I've been told. I'm I'm the messenger. Don't shoot me. Dayland Hicks and Renaud. Obviously, they don't have the number one class because Alabama's class was otherworldly. But they're the number two class in the country. Not even close. They are the number two class in the country. Having said that. The plan moving forward is to focus on Oklahoma, Missouri, Kansas, Arkansas, and Texas. That is your main area of focus to start. And then you branch out and nitpick two or three guys, four guys nationally, and that is your focus recruiting per position. That is my understanding. I'm also told that There's a thought, and that's why you've probably been noticing quite a few California offers. There's a thought that California is ripe for the taking because USC is so focused on transfers, and so is UCLA. Therefore, Mm -hmm. if you're Oklahoma, a school that has made a living in the state of California— you go and you try to grab a few out of there, elite guys. So there's multiple thoughts here, and I think Oklahoma is just trying to find, and I don't know that because 24 and 25 are just so good in this region. I think that's kind of how they're going to focus is go here first, branch out. But I think it's going to be dependent on how the cycle kind of falls. If Oklahoma, okay, preps is down and say DFW isn't quite as deep in certain areas, positions, obviously instantly you want to look, see how Arkansas is, see Kansas, Missouri. Okay. They're not that great either. Now you've got to branch out and go to California, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Louisiana, those type of places that may have stronger positional strength for recruiting purposes. And I think that's what you're going to see. There, There isn't going to be a lot of – and there will be a few diamond-in-the-rough type guys that Oklahoma will go after in this region. But I don't think you'll see a lot of – like you saw with Riley where they would make a late push for a – hovering three-star and land them and try to develop them. And, yeah, it worked out, you know, a time or two or three or four for Riley. But for the most part, those kids just became contributors. And at the very very most, they became 
contributors and that was it. And they didn't really help the program all that much. So I think you're going to start seeing that. Cause I know, I know Oklahoma doesn't want to be one that focuses solely on the transfer portal, the way they've been doing it lately for them, they would like to be Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, where Ohio state, where you show up and that is you show up as a high school kid on campus and that's where that goes. That's where that goes. You, you're, you're, you're a sooner. There is no transferring out until your third or fourth year at the most, which would allow Oklahoma three or four cycles to build up that position. And if you leave and you're not a contributor, okay, bye type deal. Just like all those other programs have that I just named, but Oklahoma's not in that position because of all the, the roster change that has taken place. I do think I don't, I don't foresee 24 being as big as 22 and 23 in the transfer portal where I'm not saying Parker that I, that I think it's going to be like a huge dip because I don't think Oklahoma's there yet as far as, because they've, they've, because they have so many transfer portal guys. So, and, and when you have one year rentals, you're going to have to go and replace with another. And I, I, and I think Oklahoma at this point from this point on is, is they're looking for guys in the portal that have two or three years that way they don't have to go. Okay. You know, every year we're going to be replacing this, this position and this position and this position and this position. No, you, you've got that set up and, and it allows you to start building depth from behind on the recruiting trail. And then that cycle of hitting 14, 15 transfer portal guys every year stops. It's going to be less this next year. But I think it's still between 8 and 10 guys. Not quite 13, 14 like we've seen. But I think 8 and 10 is probably about right. And I think in 25 you'll probably see four to six. And I think that's where Oklahoma would like to stick is just getting four to six guys every year out of the portal that might take them and push them over the top to where they're trying to get in that next season. That's, that's, that's my, my gut on that and how I kind of see things as it is right now. At least that's the hope. Obviously, if there's a lot of coaching change that, that tends to lead to transfers because you came in to play for this one person and they're not there anymore. Do you, this is going to be a question. It's kind of a hot topic, actually. Jackson Arnold. Hmm. You already know where I'm going here. Off of what I just said just a second ago, I'd hope. Jeff Levy. If he decides no. to take a head coaching job. No, I agree with you. 
But I also talked to somebody very close to that situation. I'm not going to say, but really close to that situation and um, was told, yes, they would stay. Being Jackson, they Jackson would stay. That was totally just like such a vague statement I just made. <laughs> I figured everybody knew I was talking about Jackson. So uh, that Jackson Arnold would stay. Um, but I think it would de depend on fit after that. Like you would stay, kind of get a feel for the new OC quarterback coach. But if it didn't fit, could you blame him for going somewhere? I think it's going to be hard regardless just because of his connections. He's got his girlfriend. Obviously, Peyton followed him to Oklahoma. That's kind of a that's kind of a burden already on you. Like you can't leave because you just made your best friend follow you to Oklahoma. So like there's a lot of variables there where I think it would be hard regardless to leave. You not agree? No, I agree 100%. But that's a, you know, that's a conversation that's way down the road. Oh, it so. is. It is. It's just been brought up on our board over and over and over. And I've kind of said exactly what I've said. Like, like there is no intention from my understanding to leave. Like it would be more or less. You're going to, or he's going to wait and go through potentially a season under said new OC and quarterback coach before. And then obviously by that time, the odds are that you're going to fit with each other because you guys are going to have worked together and built that rapport and that relationship. Um, let's talk some basketball. Oh, boy. Hey, they won last night. They beat the number they 12 They won, team. man, and they won in impressive fashion, and I can't make heads or tails of this team. I can't either. It's bizarre. I do I do think it's interesting that OA is playing a lot more, and so is Bama still. As the season starts to come to an end and it gets closer to coming to an end, those guys are playing so much more because I think Moser realized, oh my gosh, I set a top 100 kid on the bench and I set one of the top transfers on the bench all season and they're supposed to return next year. And there's this thing called the transfer portal that I just got one of them from. And yikes, they could get in the portal and leave and that would put me in a very precarious situation more than I'm already in. He also came out by the way speaking of Moser in totally kind of blocked off the Notre Dame rumors, huh? Yeah, and I thought that was refreshing. You know, Porter a lot of coaches, when they're asked about a situation like that, they'll leave themselves an out or they'll kind of tiptoe around it. They'll skirt the question. Porter was very direct, uh, very clear 
with his messaging and then said, look, um, I have no interest in the Notre Dame job. I'm home at Oklahoma. And so the message that sends to the fan base, right, is, well, love him or hate him, Porter Moser's going to be around. And I think last night's win over Kansas State injected some life into this program and probably probably calms the churning waters a little a little bit as it pertains to Moser's job security, which I don't think is in any danger yet. But there have been those that have started to raise some clamor that maybe Moser isn't the right guy for the job at Oklahoma. And I think he's a heck of a coach, Brandon. I don't think you get to the final four at a place like Loyola Chicago if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, and then the I just think the personnel too. hasn't yeah, I just think the personnel hasn't caught up to the philosophy yet. And I think for this team in this season, to a certain extent, if you're Porter Moser and you want to win basketball games, you got to do what you did last night and you just got to let your five best athletes go. Mm-hmm. And to me, Grant Sherfield, Jalen Hill, Milos Uzan, without question, three of the best athletes on your roster. Otega Uwe and Joe Bamasil, both those guys can give you spurts where they play really good basketball and really consistent basketball. And then I think Tanner and Jacob Groves are in an interesting case. Never really know what you're going to get from either of those two. A- athleticism does not is not the word that comes to mind. <laughs> no, but I think <laughs> one of the things we have seen from Tanner is that when he's not asked to do too much, he can mm-hmm. score a little bit. Yeah. Now, Jacob's a little bit more streaky, I think, than Tanner is. Tanner's a more consistent presence, and I think he's a guy that, because of his size, you almost have to have him on the floor for quite a bit of time over the course of the 40 minutes of basketball that's played on any given afternoon. But mm-hmm. Cortez is an underrated athlete on the team. He's one of the best defenders by far. I, I really like Cortez and what he brings, but mm-hmm. man, I, I, I think what we saw last night tells me all I need to know about this basketball team. And that's that honestly, they're pretty capable of playing with anybody if they're just going and they're not tied up with trying to execute all the intricacies of the system Mm -hmm. offensively. And I think Porter just needs to let that happen Yeah, because it feels like when these guys know they're overmatched, at least on paper, it's almost like they play a little bit freer. Yeah. Now they're not a resilient team. I'll say that they are not good at dealing with adversity. Not at all. So I worry about that with this team. But if they jump out to an early lead, they're tough to contend with because they they play confident. They play free. And the shots keep falling. They're a tough team to keep up with because of the way that uh, they can spread the ball around, get contributions. You had, what, four guys in double figures last night and Bijan Cortez with eight. So... When they're at their best, they're capable of playing with anybody. And maybe if they're not playing a Big 12 schedule, 
Oh, this team that is record looks in, a whole oh heck of a lot like a whole heck of a lot better than it does right now. This team's probably ranked if they're not playing a Big 12 schedule. Or be, let's be yeah. honest, like if they were in a different conference that didn't have six or seven teams in the top 20 in the country. And 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 it, let's be honest, those other Big 12 teams that are in the top 20 would be ranked way higher if they were in a different conference. Yeah, well, and here's here's the thing though. There there was a but coming. And that was. but was the reality with this team too is that when the shots aren't falling, I feel there's almost there's almost an overemphasis on Porter's part that they need to get back to the fundamentals and they need to get back to the yeah. system. And what you begin to see is they get really bogged down offensively. And it's almost like if Grant Sherfield isn't scoring, then no one's scoring. Mm-hmm. And so no. I, 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 a shot of confidence is what this team needed, but they also need to understand that the way that they played against Alabama and Kansas state is the way they, they need to play every game from here on out. And Porter just needs to say, screw the system offensively. He just needs to put his best athletes out there and let them go. And if, that's how you miss out on a tournament berth. If you go down swinging in the toughest big 12, maybe ever, then I don't think there's any shame in that. But what that performance against Alabama and that performance against Kansas state showed me is that the vision that Porter has for this basketball team, while it may be a good one, might not be the vision that is most conducive to this team's success this season. Is that fair? No, that that is fair. Um, I think he's going to have to learn to play that way regardless. All the sets and stuff that he did in the Horizon League is not. Hey, Missouri Valley. Missouri Valley. respect on its name. Excuse me. I watched a documentary over a Horizon League guy yesterday (laughs) that is in my head. Um, I'm, you totally got me off chart here. Okay. Um, you run sets in the Missouri Valley. You 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 set things up because you're not going to have the athletes to generally make plays. And that team obviously becomes so proficient that they can make runs when they're making shots like they have in the NCAA tournament over the last few years when he was at Illinois Chicago. But Oklahoma is a different beast. The Big 12 is a different beast. Night in and night out, you're playing great athletes. And you can't bog down your athletes. So I agree. I think the one thing you have to make sure, though, is that, like last night, the spacing is right. Because those athletes are going to be bogged down just as much if you're not running a system and there's no spacing. If spacing isn't there... All you do is create problems, more problems offensively. Essentially, that is what a system is there for, is for spacing, to make sure your players know you need to be here. You need to be here. This player needs to be there. And that that way that they don't just run around like chickens with the head cut off going, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, like a, like a 7U team that I watch every Saturday because that's what – seven, eight, nine, ten U teams do. They just run around crazy 
because they're not real proficient in in systems. Um, I will I will say this. I thought it was interesting last night that Oklahoma over the last three weeks where it's been really hard to watch this team just because you never know knew what you were going to get offensively or even aggressively on the boards from them. But last night you saw something a little different. Okay. They may not be athletic enough to go down and pull the board down because of Kansas state's length down low, but you know what you can do? You can you can know where your players are going to be and slap the ball out because your momentum of slapping is going to be greater than somebody coming up just to grab it. Now, generally, if a player is strong enough, they'll go up and grab it, and that's, that is that. But when you've got guys slapping back all the time, and Oklahoma did that, it seemed like almost every possession, they weren't going to be able to get up to get the ball or grab it because one hand was down, the other hand was up, and the K-State players reaching up to almost grab the ball. They've got greater length. So what did Groves and Godwin and Hill, what did they do? Slap that bad boy back and and make it a run for, and, and it was going to be who was going to be uh, have the best hustle to get the ball. And Oklahoma won out last night. I don't know that they'll be able to continue to do that game in and game out at that, I guess, great a pace, but they'll be able to do that at times. And it could be crucial when that happens. I also am one that believes that this team can beat anybody. Like they can beat anybody there. There is a world where if this team catches fire enough, they win the rest of their ball games. Like there is that world. I, yeah, I don't know if that's the world we're living in. No, I don't think we live in that well, world. But, but, but they're to your good point. enough to do it. That's my point. Like they have the yeah. talent to do it. And to your point, who's the best team in the Big Twelve, Brandon? Is it? It's Kansas, I guess, or Baylor. One of those two. Yeah, that, that's that's my point. They played. Both we don't of those know already. who the best team in the Big yeah. Twelve is, but what we do know is that. Every single one of those teams that's in that conversation, OU has either beaten or played with this yeah, year. True. They were a couple shots well, that away was my from point. beating Kansas and Fog Allen. They were one shot away from beating Baylor at the Lloyd Noble Center. So there's a ton of parity in the Big 12. And I think I was on the radio last week and Caden McFarland, who's a beat reporter up in Tulsa, uh, said it very well when we had him on to discuss Sooner basketball. He said, look, Somebody has to reside in the cellar in this league. That's just the way it has to be. There are only so many wins to go around. And so this conference is going to beat itself up and bloody itself. But it's almost as if Oklahoma has ended up down there at the bottom of the conference by virtue of attrition and Mm -hmm. It's 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 less of a knock on that team and more of a reality and more of an acknowledgement rather that the Big 12 top to bottom is really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. And Oklahoma's not terribly athletic compared to the rest of the Big 12. 
But it does make you wonder, right? If they get to the NCAA tournament, I know, probably not happening. But say they did, and all of a sudden, they don't have to go up against Big 12 teams every single round of the tournament. No, say they get a mid-major in round one. Say they get an ACC team in round two. Are they going to be able to outflank those programs more so than they're able to handle their business night in, night out against the best basketball conference in America by a long shot? I, I think so. I think you saw it with Alabama. I think you saw it to start the season, how well they did in those tournaments and everything else. It, where they started to hit their drawback was when they got in Big 12 play and were playing against the best teams in college basketball night in and night out. And that, that, that was kind of my point. Um, when I said there is a world they could win out. I mean, obviously if they lose two and I don't know how many games do they have left six, I think something like that. Right. If they're four and two, say they're 16 and 15 at the end of the year with wins against Iowa State, number 19 in the country, uh, Texas Tech, who's gotten hot. They just beat K-State. They beat Alabama. They've beaten several ranked teams. They've, what, they'll have have like five or six ranked wins at the end of the year. And those are tier one wins, by the way. Does the committee hold that against them? I I think it's going to be hard for the committee to do so. So there is that there is that world that this team is crazy as it sounds. They were even talking about it last night on the telecast. Like this team is not out of the NCAA tournament. Like and everybody's going, they're last in the Big Twelve. How is that possible? Well, it's because Big Twelve is so dang good. That's how it's possible. Like and everybody's looking at the Big Twelve, going, "Oh my gosh!" Like the SEC in football is like just a grinder this thing is like a war in the big 12 it is absurd it is it is the deepest i've ever seen any conference in anything in my opinion i've never seen anything like it parker but i mean and they said exactly what you said if they're in another conference oklahoma's in another conference they probably have 17, 18 wins right now, if not more. Pushing 20 wins. That is how crazy this conference is. So is it fair to hold it against Oklahoma because they have to play ranked opponents every dang night? And other teams are just playing middle-of-the-road Joe every night. Yeah, well, and I here's the thing. I think Oklahoma would have a lot more of a case in the eyes of the selectors if they hadn't lost so many games midseason the way that they lost. I agree with that. And 100%. that's what's going to be hard to overcome with this team yep. is what happened after that Alabama loss? Mm-hmm. How did you get so thoroughly throttled in each of the four games that followed? Because – the losing streak that preceded the Alabama win is forgivable. 
right? They hung with Kansas. They hung with Baylor. They played really scrappy, really hard-nosed basketball to stay in those games and give themselves an opportunity to win down the stretch. But it was almost like they won that game against Alabama and then decided that they could ease off the throttle for a little while. And I, I think there's a variety of reasons why they lost those four games the way that they did. But in the end, I think Oklahoma's going to have to leave a pretty indisputable impression over the final two, three weeks of the season if they want to even have a hope on Selection Sunday. Because I, when I, I think when you look at that midseason stretch, the stretch of four games in between the wins over Alabama and Kansas state, especially if you're a bubble team, man, that's the type of thing that's going to put you on the wrong side of it. You got that's, that's the type of deal. that's going to put you on the wrong side of the bubble because the Alabama game is one game and it, it was an awesome win. There was a court storm fans showed out. The recruits were at the game all in all. It was a tremendous showing for Oklahoma basketball and a tremendous day for the program, but that's one game. Mm-hmm. You had four where you just got taken behind the woodshed. Yeah, I think the Big 12 tournament's gonna be you gotta you gotta win two two or three games and because you're gonna have to play four to win <laughs> the tournament. So you're gonna have to win two or three of those games to on top of probably winning the majority of your game, not probably on top of winning the majority of your games to end the season. Now you can lose a few here or there, but you need to come out on top and probably have 15, 16 wins by the end of the season and then try and get a few wins in the tournament against, and and here's your problem. If you're a seven, eight, nine, ten 10 seed, in that tournament, guess who you get to go up against? Kansas, Kansas State, Texas, or Baylor. Yeah. Good luck well, in your first first round of the Big 12 tournament. <laughs> yeah, and also to even put yourself in position to have an at-large case pending the outcome of the Big 12 tournament, the Sooners, I think, are going to have to win two of three on the road between now and March 4th mm-hmm. in Austin, in Manhattan, yep. And at Hilton Coliseum, and that's tough. Again, like I said, you're going to have to pull out. Some... Now, honestly, if you were to go to Hilton, let's say you lost a close game. Let's say you beat Texas, okay? You lose a close game at Kansas State, or you lose the first two, and then you go to Hilton, and you beat at Iowa State. You beat Texas Tech, and I think they've got one more game, I believe, or is that it? Is that it? So it's the schedule the rest of the way is on the road against Texas this weekend. And you get Texas Tech at home. Then it's at at Iowa Iowa State, State, at Kansas State, home against TCU. That's it. Okay. If you can win three of those five – You've got a chance just because, but but you cannot get blown out in the other two. That's the thing. You can't get blown out. You've got a chance if you win two games in the tournament. 
And I say that because those two games in the tournament are going to be up against ranked teams again. So, and not just ranked teams, like top 10 teams. So if Oklahoma can somehow pull that off and have five more wins by the end of the year, that would put them at 18 and 15 at the end of the season, Parker. And 18 and 15, Oklahoma team, do they make the tournament? 15 and 18? 18 and 15. Oh, okay, okay. I was about to say. Huh. They would be 18 and 15 at that point. 18 and 15 in the Big 12. Or 18 and 16. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. One so hang on. We're they're 13 and 13 right now. If we're yeah. saying three and they two over the last five more, games, yes. they would win five. Two more and one games. in the Big 12 tournament. Yeah. yeah, that's 18, 18 and 16. They were 19 and 15 last year and didn't get in. But season right. But the Big 12 wasn't like it, it was this year. Sure, and I get that. And they also didn't have wins against the number two team in the country and wins. Uh, they did years. beat Baylor in the Big 12 tournament, and that wasn't enough. So yeah, I'm of the opinion that they probably don't get in. And here's the thing I think if you have last year's record, I think if you get to 19 and 15, which means going four and one down the stretch <laughs> and winning two games in the Big 12 tournament, and that's a tall order. Yes, tall is. is tall is a little that's even an understatement. <laughs> yes. That's what has to happen for Oklahoma to get into the tournament. Their odds are not good right now, Brandon. I am not counting on this happening. That is the path for it to happen. I think if you can get to last year's record, you're in this time. Mm-hmm. Well, good luck, guys. <laughs> wow. Mm. All right. Well, I think we can end it right there. We'll we'll end it on some humor, Parker. <laughs> Getting to 19 wins. All right. That means you win six of eight to close the season. I just... And they just lost seven of eight. That's the thing. So it would literally have to be... They would have to win seven of nine total if you factor in that win over Kansas State, I think. They would have to follow up losing seven of eight Good luck. by winning seven of nine. For my money, not happening. But hey, we can dream, right? It's not happening. All right. That's going to do it for this version of the OU Insider Under the Visor Streamers podcast. If you're not subscribed and you're watching this on YouTube, hit that button down below. Subscribe. 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 If you're not on OU Insider right now, VIP, join us, uh, 30% off right now, uh, $75 gets you a whole year of OU Insider, VIP, and all of 24-7 sports, meaning you get every site, VIP site, on 24-7 sports that you can go to, and you can go see USC, Texas, Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Arkansas. Ohio State, uh, Colorado, like it doesn't matter if it's on if it's on twenty four seven sports, and there's hundreds of them, by the way. You get access to them, all because you signed up for the annual sub on OU Insider VIP. It is so worth it. And then after one year of being with us, so you'll you'll sign up, you'll stay with us for a year, and then on that very next year in twenty twenty four very next day whenever the you re-up in 2024 you get paramount plus to go with it 
So that essentially is $250 in value. And you get it for half, not even less than half, actually, like way less than half. So it is so worth it. It's worth it to stay with us after the first year and your subs, your sub comes up and pay the full price because you get Paramount Plus with it. You know, OU going to the SEC. There's a lot of SEC content on Paramount Plus. Uh, you're going to want to stick with us at OUinsider.com in 24-7 sports. Uh, if you don't want to do the annual, $1 for the first month, $9.95 afterwards, and you can go month to month. With the spring game coming up, with spring practice coming up, uh, with Oklahoma doing, uh, and we'll, we'll get to that. A lot of that information is going on OU Insider VIP uh, here in the coming days. Oklahoma's doing their coaches' stations. There's a lot of team information out there. We get to talk to all 25 new members of the OU. As far as the early enrollees, there's more than 25 guys that are going to be new for the 2023 class. But we get the 25 guys that are now on campus Thursday. We get to interview all of them. We get Venables. We'll have all that information on OU Insider VIP as well. So you need to be with us right now. It's $1 for the first month, $9.95 afterwards. Then... Or you can do the one year for $75, which is 30% off. All right. For Parker Thune, my name's Brandon Drum. That's going to do it for the version, this version of the OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners podcast. You guys have a blessed day.